0: So, this morning before I preach, I'd like to share a reading from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, and this is part of our series as we continue to follow the life of the church following the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. We're seeing all these things unfold in the life of the church. So, let us read these words. The apostles and the brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard that even the Gentiles had welcomed God's word. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. They accused him, you went into the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them? Step by step, Peter explained what had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying when I had a visionary experience. In my vision, I saw something like a large linen sheet being lowered from heaven by its four corners. It came all the way down to me. And as I stared at it, wondering what it was, I saw four-legged animals, including wild beasts as well as reptiles and wild birds. I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I responded, absolutely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice from heaven spoke a second time, Never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times, and then everything was pulled back into heaven. At that moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying, and the Spirit told me to go with them, even though they were Gentiles. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered that man's house. He reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon, who is known as Peter. He will tell you how you and your entire household can be saved. When I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as the Spirit fell on us in the beginning. I remembered the Lord's words, John will baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave them the same gift He gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Once the apostles and other believers heard this, they calmed down. They praised God and concluded, so then God has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts and lives so that they might have new life. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if you've heard me preach before, you know that I prefer the Old Testament to the New Testament. It feels richer and deeper. Uh, I described it as the difference between cheesecake and cheesecake-flavored ice cream. But of all the writings of the New Testament, the book of Acts can give the Old Testament a run for its money, because it is wild. It is nonstop, it is, and and this will age me, which is going to make some of y'all laugh, it's straight up 1990s TGIF sitcom shenanigans because it's all about a ragtag bunch of people trying to be better. And the book of Acts follows the growth of church from Easter Sunday to Paul's arrival in Rome as a prisoner, meaning that the church got so big and so troublesome that the empire was trying to figure out what exactly was going on here. And Well, what was going on here? What was the Holy Spirit up to? Our portion begins in the Jerusalem meeting. The leaders of the church were gathering to discuss a really important matter. Peter was letting people into the church—a lot of people, a lot of the wrong people—and it had gotten so out of hand that they called a meeting to come to some sort of decision about what to do. Now, before we go any further, we need to really put our heads in the right space. So let's, let's do a little exercise. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. It's okay. We've already taken the offering. Close your eyes. And without saying anything, please don't say anything out loud. Imagine the most offensive people. Just imagine the group of people who do wrong day after day with no remorse. These are just like the people that Peter wanted to let into the church. Now for a clearer picture, open your eyes and look around to your left and to your right because this is who the argument was about. All of us, unless your mother was Jewish, you are a Gentile, and we are the wrong kind of people. We can't help it. We were born this way, but we're the wrong kind of people in this story. So it would be more accurate for all of us to be outside the doors of the building as this argument is happening inside. Or to move it into our culture in North America, maybe we would be allowed to be in the balcony, but not on the floor. Or to move it closer to our present moment in the United Methodist Church, maybe we'd be allowed to be in the pews, but not in the pulpit or serving at the baptismal font or at the table. But they only asked me to come preach and not to meddle. So I'm just gonna leave that thought right there. So we can get back to imagining that all of us here, the wrong kind of people, are outside of the meeting and waiting to see what happens, waiting to see how this movement is going to turn. Is it going to limit its size for purity, or is it going to open wide the doors? Now, it doesn't matter that each of us has a personal testimony about Jesus or some encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed our lives. That doesn't matter because the important people are inside talking, and there's a lot to talk about. Things have been crazy, one wild story after another, and these stories never turn out how you expect. In fact, they turn out almost the exact opposite of how we expect them to. If you go home and you pull out your Bible and you turn to Genesis chapter 12, that's the first place that God and Abraham enter into a covenant together. So if you take a while and you read chapters one through 12, and then you go into the New Testament and you read the book of Acts one through 11, you will see how much is turning out in an unexpected way. In Genesis chapter 11, God sees humans building a tower, the Tower of Babel, as a display of their strength and their wealth and their power. And God did not care for that and went down to the construction site and scattered everyone all over the earth and made them speak new languages so that they could not easily work together again. But in Acts 2, the Spirit descends upon a house and gives everyone the ability to speak a different language than they've grown up speaking, so that many people could hear and understand the good news of Jesus. Again, in Genesis 9, we see an angry God send a flood to kill many, many heartbeats on earth. And a ton of water is used, and only a few are saved. But in Acts 2, we see Peter baptize 3,000 people He uses a small amount of water so as many can experience new life in in Jesus and the Spirit. And he says, this is what it says, This is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, as many as God invites. Grace comes through the water again, but this time nobody needs to build a boat. In Genesis 5 the faithful descendants of Adam live nice, long lives on earth, like 800 years long. And then they die, And literally. it's The names are listed, when they became a father, and it says, and then he died, like eight times in that chapter. One exception is Enoch. It says he walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch is special. Uh, you, Be like Enoch. Enoch waited to have kids till he was 365 years old, and that might be the time when we're mature enough to to be good parents, but um, he's an exception. But in Acts 9, our faithful sister Tabitha has lived a life of service, and although she dies through the power of the Spirit, she lives again in that moment on earth. This is completely unexpected and so, so mysterious. In Genesis 4, Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, is banished from the community when he kills his brother Abel. But in Acts, Saul kills and seeks out for torture the followers of Jesus, and instead of banishment, he's forgiven and given a new opportunity and a place of leadership within the movement. These things that are happening are not normal. They wouldn't appear normal to people who have studied the holy text. And finally, all the way back to Genesis 3, and our old friends Adam and Eve, God created all things and gave these two a perfect garden and asked them not to eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And we all know they did, and they got a whole bunch of punishments, and they're kicked out of the garden. They have been made unclean and impure by what they ate, and it's a really huge deal. Kind of set in place all the other actions of this really big book that we cherish. And yet here is Peter trying to let people into the community who continually make themselves unclean. But Peter isn't coming to this conclusion because of his own logic or because someone has lobbied his opinion. He's coming with a dream, a divine gift. And in that dream, he sees a linen cloth that is lowered to the earth with all sorts of animals on it. And the command is given get up, kill, and eat. Now, Peter assumes this is a test. Uh, I I think Peter is kind of a teacher's pet. And um, he's thinking, I'm the rock, I'm not going to be moved. And he says, no, that's not for me. I would never do that. But then the unexpected thing happens, and the divine voice gives a new command. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. And in that moment that he is asleep, Peter is woken from the dream by visitors, asking Peter what God has to say to them. Now Peter goes with these visitors to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile man, the wrong kind of man, who's well known for how he gives to the poor. And Peter asks Cornelius, why have you called me here? And how did you know where I was? Because Peter wasn't at his home, he was staying with the tanner, you'll remember. And Cornelius responds, I had a vision from God during my prayer time, and God had heard my prayers and seen my compassionate acts and told me to bring you here, so now I'm here to listen to you and what God has told you to say. Imagine Peter's panic. He's trained, he's faithful, he's devoted, and in this moment, he is very challenged because Scripture and tradition and reason tell him that this man and his household are unclean, but his experience, the voice of God, says, never consider unclean what God has made pure. So Peter says, well, holy sitcom shenanigans. This is a quote from Acts 10. I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group or another. How could Jesus when he is the Lord of all? And for us as outsiders waiting behind closed doors, we can breathe a sigh of relief because God has room for us. God has room for the wrong kind of people. God has room for us, for all of us. And when Peter tells this story to the leaders who disagree with him, he says, if God gave them the same gift God gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? And instead of anger or arguing, this humble question, who am I, brings calm to the community. People actually calmed down. This is, this is a miracle. Imagine the type of discord we have in our world today that people of different opinions would calm down. And then they worship together. And then they said this. And I think my understanding is that this is recorded in the book of Acts completely unironically. They said, God has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts so even they can have new life. You, you heard that. God has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts so that even they might have new life. Now, can you imagine, can you even imagine We have been out here praying and worshiping and serving the poor and tending to the sick and the leaders finally made a decision and they open the doors and they come outside and they say, good news, good news. God fixed you. God fixed you and God fixed you and God fixed you and God fixed you and God fixed you. you." (laughs) Doesn't it feel good? Right? Never consider unclean, what God has made pure. This is what John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, might call a moment of and an opportunity for sanctifying grace. To sanctify is to make holy. This kind of grace shapes and molds us more and more to resemble Jesus, to resemble Jesus's heart for the world. And God's sanctifying grace Is present among the gathered people in that room as they are learning how to accept this new word from God. But the work is not done yet. The love of Jesus has redeemed Peter, is redeeming Peter, and will continue to redeem Peter through the rest of his life. One sure sign that sanctifying grace is at work in Peter's life, is where Peter's location is recorded in the book of Acts. At the beginning of the book, he's eating dinner with the resurrected Jesus in Jerusalem. Love's redeeming work has won in the Christ who conquered death. This could be the pinnacle of his life, right? In God's holy city in Jerusalem with the Son of God, how could there be something more that could happen to him? But then the Spirit calls Peter, to preach and to teach and to heal and to feed and to eat together and to participate in conflict and to grow. Now Jesus is still at work in Peter through the Holy Spirit, prodding him along and touching on all of his insecurities until he becomes a prisoner of King Herod, the same one. He was arrested during Passover and held by sixteen guards. Now, while he was imprisoned, alone and isolated, the church prayed for him. An angel appeared and broke his chains, opened the gates, and led him to safety. The iron gate of the city wall opened by itself for Peter, and he went to Mary's home, where many of the church leaders were gathered." Now, a servant came to the outer door when he called her, and she was so overwhelmed with joy that she ran back inside to the gathered church before she unlocked the door. I really, that just tickles me that she was like, great news. And she went back, and she told everyone, Peter's here, and he's safe, and he's right outside. And they called her crazy. They couldn't believe it. Now Peter should understand this because remember Peter is the one who used self-defense to protect himself when people came for Jesus. Peter really knows very well how dangerous it is to be wanted by the state and to be near other people. Peter denied knowing Jesus three times to try and avoid being associated with Jesus. So he knows there's a lot of risk if they let him inside. Peter knows There is a lot that they can lose if they let him come through the door. So as they sat inside and discussed what to do, Peter was on the outside waiting to be let in. Do you think the words from that dream echoed in his head, never consider unclean what God has made pure? Do you think he would ever be able to leave someone outside waiting again, knowing the danger now that comes with being told to wait? Can we see that it's not only the grace of Jesus on the cross and the grace of Jesus risen from the grave, but also the grace of the God of Abraham and the grace of the spirit active in the household of Cornelius that moved Peter along a journey to be sanctified growing to resemble Jesus more and more. Peter is experiencing the love of God through transformation, and it's not easy. And he is not particularly good at it. He says a lot of hurtful things while he's trying to defend his thoughts and his actions during this process. Acts 10 has some of the most cringeworthy lines in the whole New Testament. And there's nothing wrong with that because love has already redeemed Peter. In these chapters, love is redeeming him through sanctifying grace, making him more loving and more humble and more generous day by day. Now, because we live in a time with heightened anti-Semitism, it's really important for me to point out that the God that, represented, that I spoke of in Genesis in the Old Testament is no different than the God in the New Testament. It is the same God over time. God has the freedom to choose to interact with different people in different ways, just like you and I do. If God didn't have that ability, it would really be hard to claim being all-powerful. This is the same God making different choices With different people. It's also really important to point out that the early church struggled to make this decision about if they could let Gentiles in, not because they were Jewish. They didn't struggle because they were Jewish. In fact, we have this church and this tradition because of the faithfulness of the Jewish people who followed Jesus. We should know they struggled because they were the first. They were the first to have to make that decision. And in every generation, there is a new first that we have to figure out and we have to work out together. And it is never easy. Fortunately, no one's recording all of our events to be published for the next 2,000 years, so they can't laugh at our mistakes and our arrogance. But the God of the Old Testament is present with the, the Church in the New Testament. The faithfulness of the people in the Old Testament is present in the Church in the New Testament as it struggles to understand its role and its place. That first chapter I reference in Genesis 12 where God makes a covenant with Abraham says many promises, but the very last one is this, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you now whatever group you are imagining during that exercise consider this an invitation to continue to be sanctified through the grace of God consider this an invitation to grow into the love of Jesus by asking for your heart to be opened to see them the way that God sees them to love them the way that God loves them knowing that love redeems the wrong kind of people and that is very good news for us and very good news for all of creation because God calls us, reminds us, commands us to never call unclean what God has made pure. Would you bow your head and pray with me? God, we seek to be your church, your followers, your people. We ask that you would continue to sanctify us, to make us holy day by day, to resemble the love and hope in Jesus Christ. We give thanks that you redeem the wrong kind of people. We give thanks that you have redeemed us, you are redeeming us, and you will redeem us through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, in your holy name. Amen.